This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society. And we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. Hello, Hearts of Oak. Thank you so much for joining us. And normally on a Saturday evening, we have a live, but... Uh, because of Mr. Golding's busy schedule, we're doing this just the evening before. So it's wonderful to have Paul Golding with us today. Paul, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me on again. Not at all. We've been seeing a lot. You were on recently, then I was on your show, you're on here. So uh, it's good to build up Musical those chairs. connections. It is. <laughs> it is. Who, who's leading the discussion? <laughs> you begin to forget, but it's great to have you with us. Obviously, for our viewers, Paul Golding is the head of Britain First political party in the United Kingdom. The links are underneath in britainfirst.org. I'd encourage you to go there and uh, have a look around. Uh, you'll find many things that will interest you, a party that is passionate about patriotism, about restricting immigration, and about uh, promoting British culture. Um, And I think you will find a lot of things that interest you. And of course, you can find them. uh, They use Gab quite a bit, obviously far too toxic for Twitter. So at Britain First, you can find on Gab, go and follow them there or on the website. Um, um, So I think we will jump in and start with the first story, which is uh, breaking a day before you get it. I think Jeremy Hunt will probably last long enough whenever we go live on this. And that is Jeremy Hunt has become Chancellor after Quasi Quartang has been sacked. And of course, um, the, the budget, the mini budget, which cut taxes without actually paying for any of those tax cuts, caused chaos in the financial markets. And it now looks as though after, I think, 38 days, he has finished his position as Chancellor of the Exchequer and will return to the back benches. But, um, I mean, what are your thoughts of this new government headed by Liz Truss that seems to be lurching from crisis to crisis and she's only started? Yeah, well, we I personally expected this. She's not charismatic. She's got no leadership qualities. She's a known... Uh, she's prone to gaffes in interviews. She's totally unsuited to the job. She's totally out of her depth. She's a typical self-serving Westminster careerist Remainer. And I just think, you know, none of this really matters in my opinion, because they're all the same and they're all to blame. Does it really matter who is the captain of the Titanic post iceberg collision? It doesn't really matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. You've got Boris Johnson turned out to be a dripping wet liberal. Liz Truss is a dripping wet liberal. It doesn't matter who uh, occupies any of the mis- ministerial positions or the prime ministership because they're all the same and they're all to blame. And there'd be no substantial change or difference between any of them. All we can expect is more of the same. Uh, but the Conservatives are, you know, in a, in a very bad mess at the moment. I mean, it's just chaos, you know. It's just one government after another. It's just like uh, 
They're going to have to call an election soon if this continues, I think, which we don't want. Britain First doesn't want a general election yet. We'd rather focus for the next year, up till, at least up till May of next year when the local elections, we'd rather focus on the, on the local elections, winning council seats and so on. Uh, we don't want a general election, which, which in our opinion will be a major distraction. Uh, and we're not really, I mean, we've only been a political party since last September. So we don't really want a, a general election challenge that quickly. So I, I just think that it, it doesn't really matter who is chancellor. Because well, you, you obviously look at this. If you look at this as a political party, uh, many people will be sitting at home with their cup of tea, with their beer, watching what's unfolding, kind of from the outside looking in. Um, you're looking at it more, less as a commentator and more as someone who actually wants to do something, to achieve something, to make a, a political difference. Yes, of course. If we look at this from the from the perspective of ordinary voters, the electorate, then I, mean, I can only imagine that they'll just, they'll just uh, assume that this present government, only a few weeks old, is already descending into chaos and farce. Uh, but to be honest, I mean, there's there's more going on here, in my opinion, because the recent mini budget was a very half-hearted attempt to move away from the high taxes, high spending socialist model uh, that we've had since Tony Blair, carried on by David Cameron, Theresa May and, and, and Boris Johnson. And it was an attempt to cut taxes to stimulate growth which brings in ultimately more taxes and provides more jobs for workers. And they don't like that. You know, they like to confiscate money in a, in a very Bolshevik fashion, confiscate everyone's money, confiscate everyone's hard-earned gains and, and just splurge it on public projects because that's the Bolshevik, Bolshevik socialist way of doing things. And this budget was an attempt to slightly move away from that or to, to slightly correct trajectory. And what happened? The media uh, tore... Quasi Kwarteng to shreds. And they basically said, look, the establishment rounded on all of them and said, this is unacceptable. Cutting taxes and lowering spending is unacceptable. We're a socialist country. We run on socialist lines. We're big spenders. We're big taxes. Uh, the establishment basically made them aware this is not this is not going to be allowed. We'll tear you to shreds in the media. You have no credibility left. And Liz Truss reacted like a true Westminster swamp creature by sacking Carting uh, and uh, basically scrapping all of the recent innovations in the mini budget, which were a long overdue and are very much needed. No, I agree. It was uh, quite a revelation to have a conservative government actually cut taxes and try and give money back to the people. So you're right, mm. um, but it's caused it's it's like the kids are in charge. That's what it seemed like. But let's go elsewhere. There are a number of stories you put up on your gab. Uh, profile and people can find all of these posted um, the first uh, looking at immigration so let's focus on that the impact I think of immigration this is looking at Islamic immigration uh, which is one of the the biggest threats I think that we face here in the UK and across Europe uh, and this is the headline this is Al Jazeera I think your uh, article was from the Daily Mail I thought let's have Al Jazeera something so, yeah. different but it's Switzerland proposes $1,000 fine for breaking burqa ban face coverings in public places are banned after a March 2021 referendum but face masks against COVID 
are allowed. And it goes into more of the details. The uh, draft law follows last year's referendum, uh, if only we had such a referendum, on banning face coverings. The proposed ban, also known as the burqa ban, was supported by 51% of the voters, uh, but of course was criticised at the time as Islamophobic and sexist. I don't see how giving freedom back to women can be sexist. But um, it's interesting to see a number of European countries are actually standing up against this oppressive ideology. Absolutely. Uh, and we must remember that the specifically we're talking here, we're not talking about the hijab, which only is like a, a veil that, or a piece of clothing that goes around the head, still exposes the face, very similar to what Christian nuns wear, or Catholic nuns. Uh, there's a difference between that, which should be allowed, and the niqab and the burqa. Now, the niqab is the one where you have the, the slit that they can see out of across the eyes, and the burqa is the one that's covered up with like a grill that they can just about see out of. Both of those are not prescribed in Islam. The hijab is, or it's very much encouraged, modesty and so on, uh, but the niqab and the burqa are part and parcel of uh, Salafism and Wahhabism. So they're actually symbols, of, not of Islam, but of extremist Islam, uh, what you could call Islamism, or what the media calls Islamism, which is like political, hardline, militant Islam, like Taliban, ISIS, and so on. But uh, it's just common sense that in a, in, a, in a public setting, and this is Britain first policy right from the get-go, is to... Uh, ban the covering of the face in public spaces on security grounds, especially, you know, train stations, uh, public transport, shopping centres. I mean, if I was to walk around any shopping centre you care to mention with a balaclava on, you know, I wouldn't last very long. But if I walked around with a very similar thing called a niqab, uh, which isn't actually prescribed, uh, prescribed by islam then i would be left alone on religious grounds or you know for reasons of political correctness so i mean our policy at least is to ban all face coverings in public places on security grounds uh but it, that is an important distinction i think uh that the niqab and the burqa are not actually part and parcel they're not required by islam uh they're actually required by the hardline sex or the hardline uh the hardline denominations of Islam, such as Wahhabism and so on, which is uh, pretty much the ideology of the Taliban and ISIS and groups like that. So we're pretty much on the same page as Switzerland. It's common sense, and that's what we need more of in this society is just common sense. Oh, completely. And uh, you think that when people come from an oppressive country, they should have the freedom, but it's a freedom not to wear it. And sometimes the, the left-wing feminist brigade jump on this and say, well, they should have the right to wear it. But actually, let's look deeper. And do they actually have the right to do anything? Well, from I, I would say 99% 99 of the time they're forced or they're brainwashed yeah. into that kind of behavior yeah. to wear those items because they fear the consequences within those radical sects of Islam. They, they fear the consequences. Uh, and that shouldn't... I, I can't understand the, the, the mindset of Western uh, feminists where they would... Uh, I mean, we see, we see what's happening in Iran right now, where they're saying, look, we've had enough of this. We're, 
and they're burning their hijabs they're burning their uh they're burning their niqabs and burqas and so on they're just they're just burning them all that's women do not want that in a natural setting in a free society do not want to go out as boris johnson said looking like a post box they want yep. to go out and and wear what they want when they want but i mean you could you know fall back on the argument they should have the choice well it's not really a choice if they're under apocalyptic pressure from their community their their sect yeah. uh their religious sect they're not really it's not a free choice is it oh exactly you know, it, it yeah. just doesn't wash if you dig if you scratch the surface and dig a bit deeper that, that will, the western arguments the western feminist arguments fall apart i couldn't agree anymore um let's go to immigration coming from Nigeria. This was an interesting story, again, you'd put up uh, on your Gab feed. And this is migrants from Nigeria are beginning or bringing the highest number of relatives to the UK and now face clampdown under Home Secretary Suella Breverman, who actually having been criticised for actually wanting to restrict immigration. But the migrants from Nigeria are bringing the highest number of relatives to the UK. Nigerians accounted for 40% of dependents who accompanied foreign students. By comparison, 114,000 Chinese students brought with them 400 dependents. Um, There's a a graph here which really shows that. You see Nigeria, 30,000 students and 30,000 dependents. Surely that should not be the case. If someone is coming to study, they get a visa study, but that doesn't mean you bring your whole family over. So this is a, it's a a big story and interesting, the distinction between those coming over on a visa and that giving them some right, supposedly, to bring over their family. Absolutely. And I think that uh, if Suella Braverman, who so far is as a typical Tory, saying the right things, yeah. but not doing yeah. the right things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all about... I mean, we, we used to have a motto in Britain first many years ago, it was action, action, not words. Whereas the Conservatives really should have the motto, words, not action, because that pr- pretty much sums them up. I mean, they, they talk this and that, but you, you, nothing ever materialises. So Suella Braveman is, is saying the right things, and do, but she's not doing the right things. But if she dares to do the right thing, I imagine she'll end up like Kwasi Kwateng, or whatever his name is, Karteng, uh, basically being sacrificed because the, the establishment has said, no, this is not going to be allowed. She'll be out of her job uh, if she tries to rock the boat. And she'll choose, naturally, because she's conservative, she will choose career before principle, uh, but it's it's just a people smuggling racket. You know, we, we used to just have straightforward immigration in this country. And then the left came up with new ways to bring the third world to Britain. They came up, if you remember, back in the late 90s and the early 2000s, the big craze was asylum seekers. Yeah. We never had asylum seekers in the 90s, 80s, 70s. This just didn't happen. And then all of a sudden, we're getting hundreds of thousands of foreigners coming in because they're asylum seekers, and it became a big craze. I remember it very well because that was when I started my career, uh, which is the late 90s, early 2000s. And I remember it was a new thing. It was a big thing. It was, you know, asylum seekers. Uh, and then we moved from asi- asylum seekers to migrants um, and then refugees. And the, the left is constantly trying to, confuse the situation by coming up with new terms and they do it in america first it's undocumented aliens 
uh, and obviously they always try to muddy the waters. But what we're talking about here is just another strand of immigration into Britain. And the left are doing all they can to get as many in as quickly as possible before there's a, a native patriotic uprising in this country against mass immigration. So the idea of the left, if they're going to truly make this country multicultural, it's got to be done quick and it's got to be, it's got to be forced through because they know full well no one supports it. So it's got to it's got to get to the point of no return quickly. So here you have, you know, they're not turning away the ones at Dover, the ones that cross the channel. Instead, they're picking them up and bringing them over and they're facilitating it because they don't they, they want them to come. Well, well, be careful how they do it. They can't just, you know, pop up with signs all across the third world. say, listen, go to Britain, go to Britain. They can't do that because it would be electoral suicide. So instead, they're engineering even more. Uh, creative ways of bringing foreigners into this country as immigrants and like you know if you come over here from nigeria as soon as you claim asylum your entire family can come over here or students or work visas you can bring your whole family over it increase anything to increase immigration is brilliant from the establishment's point of view because their end game is to make this country truly multicultural so that the horrible white people uh, can't inflict racism and fascism on the rest of the world. I mean, it, as ludicrous as that sounds, that's really how uh, left-wing people think. Yep, and that's how the Conservative government think when the celebration that the the great heads of state in the government were by the by BAME, however you want to say it. So mm. actually, it wasn't about their quality as individuals um, with Quasi with Suella. Actually, it was about their colour. Um, so the, the Conservatives have just gone down that crazy liberal route, as you pointed out. Um, can, can I jump on to this, another story you put up, and this fits in with, as you said, that mass immigration coming over, and it is people smuggling, and the, the BBC uh, realise it, but of course it's a one-off story. Um, and this is Albanian people smuggling guy dismantled after arrests in Spain. I was called an Albanian people smuggling gang taking migrants to the UK via Spain was being dismantled after officers worked for more than a year to identify the ringleaders. It is believed that migrants paid between 3,000 and 15,000 euros to be smuggled and they've arrested seven people. Uh, I wonder whether that seven people arrested will actually stop anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. And... Uh... These Albanian, what you could call the Albanian mafia, these Albanian crime networks, if you want to see how ruthless and brutal and well-organised they are, watch the film Taken by Liam Neeson, which is regarding the uh, it's Albanian crime networks in Paris kidnapping Western tourists and, and basically getting them hooked on drugs and forced into prostitution and all that. But if you, if you want to see how dangerous they are and how brutal they are, go and watch that film. That, that does bring home. But uh, one of the big things for the Albanian mafia is people smuggling. And it's my opinion, and it's, I suppose you could say it's common sense, that if you've got the money to pay an Alba Albania, the Albanian mafia £5,000 to smuggle you into Britain, you're not a destitute refugee. Where do they get the money from? But you know what? Because this is one of the 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 biggest, in my opinion, the biggest reasons why uh, these are not genuine refugees. Any of them, because of the way, the, because they pay their way to get across Europe into Britain. 
they pay their way. And it's actually, I think there's a news story recently that said that what we're actually getting is that is the more well-off people from the third world paying to come to Britain. We're not getting the destitute refugees, the poor people. We're getting the ones who have money and they use their money to get to Britain because there's no point having money in Cameroon or the Congo or any of these other countries because you've got money. There's nothing really to spend it. There's no infrastructure. There's no, there's no society. It's all third world. So you, you're better off taking your money to somewhere like Britain where you can enjoy yourself. So I think that uh, all of these people, you know, it's 95% men, working age, fighting age, with money, because these these people smuggling gangs do not give or do not provide the dinghies they come over on uh, for free. They're not, doing, they're not doing this as a charitable humanitarian operation. They are receiving huge amounts of money. There was a story last week, one Albanian is rumoured to be on, I think he was called the Golden Lion. He's based out of Dunkirk, and he's earning a million pounds a week, a week, by organising channel crossings. This is, and and we hear time and time again of prime ministers and home secretaries, we have got to smash and dismantle the people smugglers' business model. The only way to do that is to turn the migrants back. It's like we, we... Britain First has locked horns several times with the RNLI. We've been trending on Twitter and they've come out and condemned us and so on. Because we've said, look, okay, if you want to save lives, save lives. Go out, meet these dinghies halfway, get them all on board, so you've saved their lives, and then sail them back to France the way they came, drop them off in France. But no, they pick them up and bring them back to Dover. And then they claim asylum and be looked after, you know, much, much better than homeless veterans and, and poor, struggling, financially pressed British families. But uh, there, there is no, there's no attempt, no, will, no willpower whatsoever in politics to actually turn back any immigrants in any way, shape or form, whether they're asylum seekers, refugees, illegal migrants. You know, last year there was 1.1 million Immigrants come through UK airports, 1.1 million. What's happening in the channel is actually a very, very small distraction. Mm -hmm. We're gaining 1 million foreigners coming into this country every single year. That is a colossal level of immigration. So what's happening across the channel is just a drop in the ocean. It's a very, uh, very entertaining, very visually uh, entertaining kind of strand of mass immigration but compared to what's coming in through the airports just normal run-of-the-mill immigration it's tiny what we up to now Thirty-five thousand, i believe something like that well yeah let, let me bring because again it it puts the numbers and you're right this is one part of the immigration uh onslaught that we face but it is a, a visible one and here we have your good friends the rnli doing their normal Uber taxi service. Um, Channel migrants, more than a 1,000 people cross in a single day. That was on Sunday past. And you think, well, the BBC are covering this. Actually, it was in their Kent section. So it wasn't, this should be 
front page, if a thousand people are coming a day, that should be big news, but it's really hidden away. So before any of our viewers and listeners think, wonderful, the BBC are covering this, no. Uh, but yeah, it goes down, it brings the total number of migrants making the journey from France this year to 34,672. Last year, there were 28,000, which was up from 8,500 in 2020. So it looks like it's exponential. But also, where are these 34,672 people? And I think you'll have a, a better idea, Paul, than most of the viewers of actually where those people go, because they're certainly yes. not being returned to their countries of origin. No, well, a small amount are actually in a few uh, of these migrant camps like the one at Napier Barracks which we've been protesting outside uh, when we went there the other day and we protested I've never seen it so packed so heaving it's you it's it was very much the population inside had easily quadrupled um, and it wasn't just the weather because we've been there when it's sunny before but I mean it was visibly visibly more buzzing visibly more uh, heaving and active inside and outside I mean it was it was so much more busy than it usually is. So you've got a small number going into these migrant camps. There's also another one we're campaigning against up in uh, on the outskirts of Huddersfield, in a place called Millsbridge, a suburb called Millsbridge, and they've taken an old mill, and they've advertised it to the local community. It's going to be luxury apartments. Lo local people have purchased houses. They've got mortgages and so on. Then all of a sudden, just out of the blue, they said, "No, it's going to be a, a migrant centre." They're going to fill it with over 100 male working age migrants and the local community are just absolutely furious. And so their house prices have dropped already. Some of them are trying to sell. They can't sell. It's just unbelievable what's going on. But the vast, vast majority of them get distributed all around the country into four star hotels. And I've just completely lost track of the, the amount that uh, we've exposed. Well over 100 by now. And I've already I've got a backlog of. I think about 40 or so that I need to visit over the next couple of months. There's just because what, what happens is some of them that were migrant hotels a year ago, uh, basically go back to normal functions, clear all the migrants out and go back to being a hotel again. So the government puts them into new hotels. So there's this constant new feed of migrant hotels being sent into Britain first HQ and we just can't keep up with it. Uh, we're trying to visit as many as we possibly can, time time permitting, but there's just so many out there, and we're struggling to keep up. And let, let me bring. I let, think the last time anyone checked, or, or the the government announced it, it was four point seven million pounds a day. Well, I would say it's easily doubled by now. Wow. Um, th th this is a story up which highlights that our last immigration story, um, which you put up frantic couple demand answers over wedding booking at Asylum Seeker Hotel. The Home Office has sparked outrage over its intention to book out all 88 rooms at this hotel, North Stafford Hotel um, in Shetland. Uh, and this story, as you said, is repeated time and time again. This is the Stoke Sentinel, the local paper. But this story is repeated right across the country. And as you said, you visited these. And when people have got a booking, they're planning a lovely day, a wedding, and suddenly everything is cancelled because the Home Office have commandeered accommodation. Yeah, it's just scandalous, isn't it? Not only are we paying something like this, I think the, the, price, the price tag just for putting all of these asylum seekers or migrants or illegal migrants, whatever you want to call them, uh, the price tag is now something like four 
billion pounds a year, roughly. That's, you know, that's 4,000 million pounds a year from our taxes. And at the same time, you know, we're, we've got a crumbling health service, an education system that, that doesn't educate and it's more of an indoctrination service. Um, we've got so many, so many problems in this country, colossal problems from our armed forces all the way to uh, housing and pensions and all these other different things. And we're spending £4,000 million casually on undeserving illegal migrants, men who've paid money to get here. They should just all be deported, turned away. Otherwise, it's never going to end. But, of course, the establishment doesn't want it to end because their their main goal is to turn this country multicultural. Um but yeah, it's pretty, and, and people are suffering in other ways, such as the people who booked their big day, their wedding, which only happens, you know, for most people once in their life. It's a big day, big life event, and what happens? The the home office comes in and manages to get everything cancelled, and it's just our people are suffering in so many different ways. And some of these places I've been to all across the country, Peter, you could literally walk from one side of the road and and, and speak to some homeless Brits and homeless veterans sleeping in the doorway, just walk across the road and you've got this four-star hotel with a spa and uh, j- jacuzzis and, and saunas and steam rooms and gyms and swimming pools uh, and it's filled up with these undeserving migrants from Africa and the Middle East. It's a, a, it's a horrific national scandal. But people continue to vote Labour and Conservative. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Well, Paul, these people need something for their 15,000, so why shouldn't they get a spa? <laughs> they need to get a, And then it can go in the brochures to bring more people over. But let's move off immigrant. Let's go over to Victor Orban, another story you posted. This is a, a Breitbart story and a beautiful headline. Hungarian PM Victor Orban joins Twitter. I didn't realize he wasn't on it. But Anas, where is my good friend Donald Trump? I just love it the way Viktor Orban triggers the left so much. Um, and this is one of the first things he puts up, which, of course, the, the whole question on the the freedoms on social media to express yourself and have a, a normal conversation and debate yeah. that no longer exists. And Twitter is is the worst of them. Well, it is at the moment. But, of course, the only reason that Viktor Orban has jumped onto Twitter is because Donald Trump's about to be unbanned and uh, it's about to become, rather than the most, uh, the most horrific, censorious, uh, leftist, pro- uh, leftist platform on social media, you know, a real, a real sink, a real cesspit of far-left extremism and censorship and uh, a very much an anti-free speech platform because Elon Musk is about to purchase it over the next week, two weeks, it's going to close the bit. The actual transaction is going to close and he is going to be the new owner. At that point, you'll see an exodus of Twitter staff and you'll see, you'll see Elon Musk come in with a very well thought out plan to, to quickly replace all these people and just institute almost, almost overnight. Most experts believe, believe that the, the, the changes to Twitter won't be drawn out. They'll be very quick because there'll be an exodus of, of real hardcore left-wing Twitter staff and they'll just be replaced by uh people who believe in free speech and who have been put there by Elon Musk to implement free speech policies. Britain first, of course, is waiting in the wings, monitoring the situation very slowly. The reason that Viktor Orban is about to, has gone back onto Twitter is purely because, I think it was last week, wasn't it, that Elon Musk 
changed his mind again and said yeah. that he he is going to buy Twitter after all. I think he was just caused a, a four-month uh, delay purely so he could try and get a lower price, you know, f- to get drive down that, that purchase price of $44 billion, try and get it down to a much lower price. It's worth four months of haggling, isn't it? Um, so I, he's going to buy it over the next few weeks. And at that point, very shortly after, there'll be an exodus of staff. There'll be a lot of new staff coming in. The policies will change overnight. Britain First is a registered political party contesting elections. So we're very, very, very confident we will be on Twitter very, very soon. And that's the reason that Orban's gone back on it, because very, very shortly it will be officially a free speech platform with freedom of speech for all political beliefs, not just far left extremists. Uh, And Trump will be on it. He'll be unbanned. The Britain First ha- uh, was banned all the way back in 2017 mm. after we were retweeted by President Donald Trump. And, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> well, no, it was, that was a very crazy period. That was very, very crazy. But uh, I doubt very much we'll get our old channel, uh, our old account back because it's been so long. It's been like five years, five years plus, something like that, I think. And... But we're, we're going to start again very shortly and Twitter is going to be the place to be for free speech. And of course, it's very exciting because, you know, people like Britain First and Tommy Robertson and everyone else, we've all suffered with, you know, payment processes closing us down and banks refusing us and so on. So I think Elon Musk's next big project after he's gained control of Twitter and turned it into a free speech platform is to uh, rebrand it as the X app. And part of that will be, it's going to be very similar to WeChat in China. I'm, I'm not too familiar with it. Mm. But it's kind of like, you know, everything in one app. Pay, it's like PayPal and WhatsApp and Twitter in one app. So hopefully in the future, he'll bring out some free speech, politically neutral options for payment processing, which will be a godsend for people on the right of politics across the Western world who have been deplatformed and censored by... Uh, the banking system in so many different ways. Yeah, no, I. This is probably the only thing we maybe um, don't see, uh, don't agree on completely. I think it'll be a much, much slower process. You think it'll be quicker? So, uh, I don't, if, if the viewers want to bet on who's right, Paul or myself, uh, then go for it. Well, to be um, honest, I haven't actually got my own views on this issue. I, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping a close eye on the situation. So every yeah, yeah. day, I, every day I see, I look on YouTube to see what yeah. videos have been posted on the matter on the issue. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're all of the consensus, to be honest, that it will happen yeah. very quickly. Because yeah. once Musk, the, I'm just repeating what, what what you can find on YouTube. Because Musk will come in and say, right, no closing people down, stop censoring people, unless it's violent, don't get rid of it. And everyone's got to obey because he's he's. It's not a publicly owned company anymore. It's a private company. He owns a hundred percent. It's not as if he has to answer to anyone or get it past a board. So he will be the sole proprietor of Twitter, and he's. He, and they've already said they reckon that there will be a mass exodus of Twitter staff as soon as he takes over. A mm. mass exodus because they mm. simply, they they're just not built, are they? Far left extremists to be implementing free speech and just sit back as all of a sudden the conservative right of politics comes flooding back onto Twitter. You know, it's, it's going to cause them, uh, it's going to, it's going to cause them, uh, you know, panic attacks and anxiety attacks and so on. Poor little snowflakes. Um, so I, 
overall, I think it will happen quickly because there yeah. will be an exodus of staff and there will, he will replace them very, very quickly. He'll be on a recruiting spree right now as we speak. Yeah, I agree. People to take over. So he, he'll be ready to go and it will be go very quickly. It's part of his... Um, see, it's all about marketing as well. Yeah. You've got to strike while the iron's hot. You don't want to leave it and leave it and leave it because then it becomes a... doesn't. It's not novel anymore. It's not in the news cycle anymore. So he's got to strike while the iron's hot. He'll do yeah. that very quickly. He'll 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 put out tweets to say, right, everyone back on the platform. Free speech is now the policy. Come back, come back. So I actually think it will be for a number of reasons. I, I think it will be quick. Well, we will um that will be finalized and close that purchase, and then yeah. um it'll be a case of yeah, watching and seeing. So mm. but here at the moment, uh, more good news, goodness. Bringing you lots of good news, often bad news. John Cleese, the host, GB News Show, as he rails against cancel culture. This is The Guardian getting quite irate and concerned that someone like John Cleese should be allowed to express his opinion. But he is going to be starting his show beginning of next year. Um, and I think it's another win for GB News. I, I know they've faced massive issues. Well, uh, Ofcom have opened up another investigation now into them. But uh, what I've seen on many of the presenters I've loved with Mark Stein and Neil Oliver, um, it, it, Nigel is, is great fun having on, um, and Dan Wooten. There are individuals actually who are willing to ask the questions. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing John Cleese on. I, I guess you are as well, Paul. Absolutely. I think GB News was quite worried a few months ago. I think it may be longer. You know, they was coming under financial pressure, financial difficulties. Some of the investors walked away. And I was really worried that uh, we'd lose this uh, This quite brilliant. I mean, it, it is such a breath of fresh air, GB News. And the more of these big heavyweights they get on there railing against cancel culture, uh, can cancel culture and, uh, you know, the lack of free speech and, and so on, it, it's all good news. It's all good. I think after years of left-wing domination of so many different ways, I think that uh, we're seeing that the the, the the retaliation, the backlash now, we're going to, Elon's taking over Twitter, that's going to be free speech. And uh, Elon taking over, I mean, I think he's onto a winner here because, you know, they say, oh, Twitter's so much smaller than Facebook. Well, yes, it is, but most people who speak their mind on Facebook get 30-day bans. It's a very, very toxic uh platform these days facebook you can't say anything you just can't challenge any narratives whatsoever so i think all of those people will think well you know sod this i'm going over to twitter and i think twitter will very their user base will go up very very quickly because um elon musk is not stupid he might be you know a, a bit of a fruit loop but he's not stupid and he understands that the vast majority of people ordinary people are kind of centre-right, kind of conservative patriots. And all of this woke, far-left extremism is, a, is very much a minority sport. So he knows. And he won't, he won't just ring up Donald Trump and say, please come back, shall we open your platform? He'll just say, boom, it's back. Log in, start posting. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think, I, if I was Trump, I don't think I could resist. Because all of a sudden, boom, he'll have 80 million people again. And they're all his people. They're, you know, I don't think he can really ignore that. 
in favour of Truth Social. Well, Truth Social has got three and a half million. If you're handed 80 million people on a plate, again, you're going to take it because it's just, you know, he's running for the presidency and he he needs it. He he has to have it. Um, So I think Trump will be back on there and tens of millions of his supporters will be back on there. And all of this will make the stock price and the advertising revenue and, and the user base for Twitter go sky high. So I think, you know, Twitter's going to be uh, a, a bastion of free speech very, very shortly for all of us. And GB News, a lot of people that I know have started to watch it because it's, yeah. it's a breath of fresh air. You go on there, they're railing against illegal immigration. They're railing against political correctness. They're exposing Black Lives Matter. It's just so many different ways. Yeah. They're speaking the truth. They're speaking common sense. And people are people are really starting to gravitate towards them. And I think they've got some brilliant people on there now. Nigel Farage, Chris, is it Christie's and, and John yep. Cleese and, yep. uh, and Mark Stein and all these different people. It's just brilliant. It is getting better and better. And it will grow and get bigger in the future yep. as more and more people gravitate towards it. Because you compare what you see on GB News to the kind of stale, woke, politically correct, centrist nonsense you get on ITV and Channel 4 and BBC. There's no comparison. Oh, completely. Let's move on to a economic story, and it is this story on Royal Mail. Of course, Royal Mail has been sold off a long time ago, but Royal Mail to axe up to 10,000 jobs as losses rise. And this was uh, on BBC. Royal Mail announced job cuts 10,000 by next August, blaming ongoing strike action and rising losses at the business. Um, And they actually say that Royal Mail said it expects full year losses to hit 350 million. And I I often scratch my head and think, how can we not run a profitable postal service with the rise of uh, eBay, with the rise of Amazon, with the rise of the online uh, market that actually it's a gift to a company like Royal Mail and it just seems as though they cannot actually make a profit out of sending packages and letters exactly but there are some uh, mitigating factors or some influencing factors for the Royal Mail it's not entirely their fault because you've got rising energy costs you've got rising fuel costs these all have to be factored in to the product prices at the end of the line. Uh, so, you know, basically their losses are going up at the exact same time that their costs are going right up. So it just makes sense. It's not really their fault. Um, but again, you know, everyone is moaning at the cost of living crisis, rising energy costs and all these other different things. But it's all superfluous at the end of the day, unless the rail against the green agenda, against the agenda, the anti-fossil fuels agenda. Um, And, you know, we can, Europe and the West can cut off cheap Russian energy all you want, but you're going to pay the prices and we are paying the price. Uh, So principle carries consequences, I'm afraid. And another factor to do with all of this is that we had lockdown after lockdown after lockdown. Now we're paying for it and no one likes it. Well, yeah. you know, if only there was a system with 
integrity where the people who locked down the country were forced to pay for everything, um, some kind of accountability. But, you know, lockdowns, the green agenda, the cutting off Russian cheap energy, all of these things mean that you everyone's paying through the roof now. And there's nothing we can do unless we open the doors again very quickly to cheap Russian energy, which is not going to happen because we are totally committed to supporting Ukraine, which, you know, we're, we're staying neutral on this issue. It's like when you have two brothers start to fight, you know, you don't take sides, you try to split them up, don't you? And that's yeah. the way we're looking at it. We've got friends in Russia and we respect Ukraine and, and so on. So we're not really getting involved in the in the whole Ukraine situation. We're, we're a political party in Britain. The clue's in the name. We're Britain first. We're not going to start getting involved in uh, overseas wars. Um, but unless we scrap the green agenda and, 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 and completely uh, cut loose from this uh, net zero agenda and all this other nonsense, and we start to frack and we start to dig in the North Sea for more oil and more gas and so on, unless we start to do that, then, you know, if you're going to vote for parties like the Tories and Labour that are committed to the green agenda and all this other stuff, stop moaning, stop whinging. Because you're voting for it. You're giving the mandate to politicians who say they want to do this. Okay. And it's going to it's going to drive up the cost of living and energy prices through the roof. That's what's happening. You can't vote for something and then moan when it happens. Mm. This is the problem with our country at the moment. So many people are angry. So many people are upset and, and uh, you know, they're, they're fed up to the back teeth of what's happening in politics but then they'll go out and vote Labour or Tory. And it's, you're getting what you vote for. That's how democracies work. The electorate decides who the government is. If you keep voting in Labour and Conservative, then you will pay the price. And this is what we say to people all the time on the doorsteps in the recent local elections in uh, Wakefield. Stop voting for the issues that you are angry with stop voting yeah. for it and you won't see them it's a democracy you're in control you you if you vote labor and tory you're going to get mass immigration and all these other problems you're going to get rising energy costs you're going to get the cost of living crisis you're going to get all of these things because you voted for it stop voting for the main parties vote for someone else until we get this across to enough of the le- the electorate it's just going to carry on well this is a, another the last two stories, another uh, problem that we get in the country because we vote the same way, Labour and Tory. And as backlash against trans guidance for schools, initially this looked like, oh, could be a, a positive story, maybe less talk and more action. But campaigners hit out at suggestions, including separate gender-neutral toilets as DFE officials draw up common-sense proposals. Um, but uh, they've got an idea of, gender-neutral toilets. They've got giving guidance on trans pupils. Another idea could see trans children use changing rooms before same-sex kids. Again, it's just uh, repeating the lie. It's buying into this myth and perpetuating it. Um, And, of course, a new government, we thought it was going to have some common sense on this and scrap all these mad guidelines and just treat children as children and not sexualize them at such a young age but 
as you said, you vote Tory, you vote Labour, and you get the same old nonsense. And this is another example. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and everyone needs to remember, everyone, all I hear of people is that, oh, you know, we've got to keep voting Tory because we don't want to let Labour in. And it's so frustrating. It really is. Because they're, they're pretending that there's some kind of big difference between the Conservatives and Labour. Stories like this just go to prove there isn't. The Conservative government, not Labour, not the Liberal Democrats, the Conservative government is trying to bring in gender-neutral toilets in schools. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just lost for words when it comes to things like this. Because, like I've said this many times... The Conservatives are not conservative. We need some kind of trademark infringement lawsuit brought against them so they can rename their party as the Liberal Party because they're not conservative anymore. And this is this and a million other different examples go to show that it doesn't matter if you've got Labour in power or Conservatives in power yeah. because you will still get the same thing regardless because they're all the same and they're all to blame. And until people start to realise this, it's like in Northern Ireland, they've got the same kind of psychosis going on with voters over there. When they say, we hate the DUP, they're corrupt, they're, they're, they're traitors, they're sellouts, but we've got to keep voting for all them to stop Sinn Féin. Well, Sinn Féin actually run the, run the country over there. Yeah. The the I think it's the next first minister is going to be from Sinn Féin. So where has that got anyone? It's got anyway, it's got it's got them nowhere. You know, th for the first time ever over there, Irish Republicans outnumber British Protestants. Yeah. And the only reason it's been able to go this far and get this bad is because people think, oh, we've got to vote DUP to keep Sinn Fein out. And what happens? Sinn Fein takes power anyway. So we've got to strip away these illusions that are holding us back. There's so many illusions, uh, yeah, so many illusions and delusions. Mm -hmm on the right of politics at the moment. And the left always seem to see through these issues with clarity. You know, that they pursue the most craziest policies imaginable. But when it comes to political pragmatism, they are very, very intelligent and switched on. Uh, but on the right of politics, you've got these delusions at the moment that somehow all of the right-wing parties can unite and become a super party. And I've said to people, well, who are we supposed to unite with? Well, UKIP. Well, UKIP had like 35 people at their, con <laughs> at their conference last week. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to run people down here, but we have to look logically at the situation. UKIP is dead, finished, yeah. buried. Recent Wakefield by-election, we got double their vote. Uh, and they've been around since 1993. We, we got double their vote. And they got like 35 people to their recent national conference. I mean, that's down... They used to get thousands, didn't they, when Nigel Farage was around? Um, and then you've got Reform Party, which is not right wing at all. It's, you know, there's people, there's trade unionists in there, there's communists mm. in there, all the way through to libertarians. Mm. It's not right wing, it's not uh, truly conservative and patriotic and so on. Uh, so, you know, people are going to go. There's nothing we can do, really, because we don't control the media and we, uh, we've been censored yeah. from social media. But people are going to wake up eventually and realise, you know what, this vote voting Conservative because they're not as bad as Labour, it's not really working for us, is it? Because it's, it's 
you know, the country is still progressively getting worse and worse and worse. Yep. And when that happens, when that happens, when that, that delusion is stripped away, that's when a big vacuum will open in British politics. And yep. I, I see it as our position. We're, we're, we're up to now like 12,000 members and donors. Uh, and that, that's, that's a huge amount compared to yep. all the other parties. Vastly, vastly, vastly bigger and uglier than any other patriotic party on the right of politics. So much bigger. Uh, and we're, we're, again, we're going to be launching our local election campaign for next May, next month. So I think the way things are going, if people out there watching this, if you're serious about getting involved in patriotic politics to fight back against the establishment, you've got to... Join Britain first. You've got to get involved at this point because we have proven, we've shown, we've demonstrated that we are the only show in town now. And we're getting bigger and more professional and better organised and, be you know, better funded than we've ever, ever been. And this is despite all the sabotage and setbacks. Mm. But there really is only one show in town now. So if people, we're going to be announcing a system or publishing a system over the next few days where people can sign up to be Britain first election candidates in your local area for the local elections next May. If you really want to do something positive and constructive to fight in politics in an effective way against the establishment, then get involved in Britain first as quickly as you can, because we need all hands on deck. We've already, to a degree, we've already, we're already achieving unity amongst the right because we've pulled ahead so much further than, than everyone else. We've already, we're already establishing our dominance of the right wing in Britain. So we need all hands on deck now. So if you are looking for a political home and you used to be with UKIP or Reform or the English Democrats or anyone else, then now is the time to get behind Britain first. Well, you've heard uh, Paul's pitch and I would encourage you to go, go to the website, have a look at it. Um, and I know you will uh, like what you see. Um, can I just last or just a minute, just touch on it, just because I thought it was a big story, something quite different. Just a, just a minute on it. And this is lab-grown brain cells play video game Pong. This was on the BBC. It was in Nature magazine a few days ago. Um, and this is all about a brain cell that they have grown and can now react and the whole debate about whether it's sentient, whether it's a being, and what that means. And I think this has huge implications for life whenever we as a society are growing life or making life, then what does that mean for humanity? So, Paul, I just thought this was a, a huge story, quite left field and something that wasn't really given a lot of coverage. And I think it's probably one of the most frightening stories I've come across in a while. Well, I've been challenged on many different stories, some of them bizarre, but I would say that this is this is probably the most bizarre story <laughs> I've been asked to give an opinion on. Yes. But I can honestly say that all of this, this is essentially just an extension of the whole AI issue, the artificial yeah. intelligence issue. Yeah. And I must admit that it does it does unsettle me to a great degree uh, because we are playing with fire here. We've all seen the film Terminator 2 when AI goes wrong and, the, the, the robots take over the world and basically exterminate humanity. Um, it is it is very very worrying because 
we are facilitating the use the usurpation of ourselves yeah. essentially by developing artificial technology that replaces us as the intelligent source uh i think we're playing with fire on a civilizational level as a species i think we're playing with fire when it comes to this i think it will impact and rebound on us in a very dramatic and harsh way in the future obviously the, te the technology overall is very infant at the moment it's in its infancy but when it does become an integral part of daily life whether it's in the military sphere economics business i think that uh this is a slippery slope to armageddon i truly do uh i don't think i don't think much good is going to come out of it Oh, I agree. And just because we can do something in society doesn't mean we should do it. But my, my lighthearted look at it, Paul, is maybe actually brains grown in Petri dishes playing Pong would actually give us a better electoral result than we currently have. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we could uh, think of some applications for AI. Uh, and so one of them would be, you know, replacing Westminster politicians. I'd, I'd be all in favor of that. Um because we'd put up to be honest you could probably go into parliament go into the houses of commons uh the house of commons and replace all of the westminster politicians of all political parties with chimpanzees and orangutans and probably achieve better yeah. government yeah so uh, i think i agree there probably will be some application for this technology in the future but i think it it's a very frightening technology it's because we are essentially creating intelligence we're playing god essentially yeah. and we're not yeah. equipped to play god in my opinion human yeah. beings are far too unstable and ideological and uh i think that this technology will end up in the wrong hands for the wrong reasons i think humanity will pay a terrible price in the future absolutely i couldn't agree more um on that it, we will wrap it up paul as always thank you for joining us and sharing your insights and always good to hear about um, not only your thoughts on the news, but also uh, how Britain first fit into that. So thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for letting me put that pitch in at the end then. Uh, I That's understand fine. this was a, a new show, uh, but I, I, I snuck that in because I do believe we are yep. at a crossroads for this movement. And I think that uh, I never, I ne there's, there's zero chance of different parties all merging together into one. I think that's uh, a pipe dream. Yeah. But what we do need is for one of the parties to power ahead and become the biggest and the, the biggest and the ugliest, so to speak. And then everyone can use that platform, uh, which is what Britain First is. We're a platform for tens of thousands of patriots across Britain and the world to fight back against what's happening to this country. So thank you for having me on again. And thank you for allowing me to put that pitch in there. Uh, and I, hope people, I hope a lot of people do come forward from UKIP for Britain, English Democrats. I think it was, you know, no one else is really going anywhere. So let's give Britain first a try and let's stand for election next May. Let's try and get elected. Well, on that, I will wish our viewers a wonderful rest of your day because we're doing this as a pre-record evening before. It means you'll also be able to watch it on the non-streaming platforms. And also, if you listen on the go, you can listen to Pod Beaner and the podcasting app. So thank you so much for joining us and listening and watching and being part of the conversation. Uh, all the links will be there in the description and of course, the links to Britain First are there in front of you uh, and their 
Gab account. You can follow them if you're using Gab, then that's the best way of, of following them on social media. So on that, I wish our viewers and listeners a wonderful rest of your day. Have a good weekend. And we look forward to seeing you on Monday. So thank you so much and goodbye. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list, donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofvoke.org. Thank you for listening.